0: We are in our third week of this series that we've entitled, The God Who Builds. As we walk verse by verse through the book of Nehemiah, this series is 13 weeks, we're in our third week, and we've entitled this series, The God Who Builds, and we define it as this, believing that God is faithful to remember and act upon His promises to build His people and His church for His glory. That that's what we're looking at as we open up this book and walk through these pages and look at the life of Nehemiah and then look at our lives today and reminding ourselves of what we have been provided through God Almighty, through His Son Jesus Christ and His perfect life, His perfect death and His perfect, perfect resurrection. That as you sit here today and if there are things in your life that lie in ruin... That we serve a God who loved us enough to send Jesus Christ who has the power to build what is broken. And so I hope that that is where your faith and trust is placed today. And if it's not, then I'm glad you're here as well. And so we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 2 verses 9 through 20. And as I was preparing for this, I was thinking back to when I was in fifth grade. So 11 years old in fifth grade. And I don't have the the mental capacity right now to do the math on that and how many years ago it was. Those of you who do, go for it. But I was 11 years old and our class was given this project and there was this this, uh, time capsule that was going to be buried in our school. And so they asked every kid of every class to write down uh, an answer to this question. Here was the question, what do you want to be when you grow up? And so I was 11 years old, as I mentioned, in fifth grade, and I remember thinking about how I would answer that question. And so right around this time, there was a movie that was recently released in the last, in the last few years of this time, and it was this movie. You aware of this movie? <laughs> Top Gun. Now, guys, ladies, see, if you, see if, you, if you can fill in the blank. I have a need for what? Yeah, yeah. So, so that's a movie that like when you're flipping through the channels, you just got to stop and watch a little bit of it, right? So when I was in fifth grade, 11 years old, and that question was posed to us as a class, you know what I wrote down? Fighter pilot. That's what I wanted to be. And I thought, man, if I could just fly an F-14 Tomcat, like that would just be absolutely amazing to do with my life. Like G.I. Joe was a big deal for me too, right? So guys, you remember back to then? Remember that F-14 Tomcat plane that was like huge? Like, man, if you got that for Christmas, that was the Christmas. And so that's what I, that's what I wanted to be, and obviously it was shaped by that movie. Now here's, what, here's what's an easy thing to figure out. That didn't happen. Shocker, I know. That didn't happen. Uh, God's plan for my life was not to be a fighter pilot for the U.S. Navy. His plan for my life was to be a pastor. And I'm, I'm thankful for that. And, and I share that because probably there's people in this room that could identify that what you thought you would be, whether it was at fifth grade, 11 years old, maybe it was just a few years ago, you say to yourself, what I thought I would be when I grew up is not what I am right now. Anybody like that in the room? Can I get a hand? Okay, some of you are like, oh, great for you guys. The majority of you guys, I guess, when you're 11 years old, you're exactly what you thought you would be. Well, that's fantastic for you. But for the few of us in this room who raised our hands, that wasn't true. And some of us could be sitting here and say, man, what I thought I would be and what I am are two completely different things, and you're bummed today. And then there's others of us that, you know, I put myself in this boat that even though it's pretty cool to be, still in my mind, to be a fighter pilot, and that is one of the things on my bucket list is I would love to go up into one of those planes and fly around and get the guy to make me throw up. Like, that would just be amazing. So if any of you know how to make that happen, see me afterwards. I'm thankful for where God has placed me. I'm thankful that I'm here with you. I'm thankful that God has called me to, to pastor this church. But you may be here today and you're thankful that you are not what you wanted to be many, many years ago. And then there's others of you who are very disappointed that you are not where you thought you would be. But here's what I want you to understand this morning. That God has a vision for your life. That God has a vision for your life. And when God's vision for my life, and my vision for my life, when there's harmony, here's what happens, that I see the tremendous opportunity and blessing to be a part of what God wants to build in and through my life. And so here's the overarching idea that I want you to get today because I entitled the message this, God's vision for your life. And here's what I want you to get today. Here's the main idea. That God's vision for your life is faithfulness and fruitfulness for his glory. That every one of us who are in this room today that have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that God's vision for your life and for my life is faithfulness and fruitfulness for his glory. One of my favorite verses in all of the New Testament, it was actually a verse that God used in my life to call me into pastoral ministry, is 1 Thessalonians 5, 24. Do you know what it says? He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. That God's desire for your life and my life is to experience his faithfulness. And as we mentioned in the first week of this series, that God builds according to his knowledge, knowing what I need, when I need it, how I need it, and thankfully God also builds according to his faithfulness and not mine. And knowing that God is faithful ought to inspire me today to understand, and we're going to unpack this, that God's vision for my life is faithfulness, but it's also fruitfulness. That in Matthew 13, verse 8, in the parable of the seed and the sower, Jesus mentions in verse 8 is that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, that you're going to produce fruit, some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. But the reality is, is that God's vision for his children to place their faith and trust in Christ is not just faithfulness to the work that he's called us to do, but also to experience fruit, fruitfulness. And so in Nehemiah 2 Verses 9 through 20, what we're going to do this morning is just to unpack that idea of God's vision for your life is faithfulness and fruitfulness for His glory. So how do I live that type of life? Well, look at verse 11. We're actually going to say verses 9 and 10. We're going to start in verse 11. So look at verse 11 with me. So it says, so I went to Jerusalem and was there for three days. And then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me, and told no one what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. So what I find interesting here is Nehemiah now finally is at Jerusalem. Last week, he was in front of the king, asking for the king to give him permission to go build, rebuild the walls and the gates. And let me remind you that he was called by God to ask the same king Who told Ezra to stop building the walls? That Nehemiah now goes to that king to ask if he will change his mind. And God, in his sovereignty, causes that king to change his mind. And now Nehemiah has permission to go to Jerusalem, a place that he's never been, but yet called by God to go. And now he's in the city. And he's checking out the condition of the walls and the gates. And what I find interesting in the verses that we already read is that Nehemiah doesn't rush into action. Like, I don't see that here. Like, what he wanted to do is he needed to know and understand the conditions of the walls himself before he could address what needed to be done. Now look at verse 13. It says, "'I went out by night by the valley gate "'to the dragon spring and to the dung gate, "'and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem "'that were broken down.' And its gates that have been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate into the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. So, in other words, what Nehemiah is doing is he's giving careful thought and being meticulous and going and looking and inspecting the conditions of the walls. Remember, he's doing this privately. He didn't take his whole entourage that he came with, but he says, I want to look for myself and to see the condition of these walls. Now, look at verse 14 or 15. Then I went up by night by the valley and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials, so those people that came with him, did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, and I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. So it doesn't tell anybody else yet what he's here to do. Verse 17. Then I asked them, you see the trouble we're in, how Jerusalem lies in ruin with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. Here's what I see in verses 11 through 17. The first way that you and I live a life of faithfulness and fruitfulness for God's glory. Here's the first one inspect the ruins of your life. Inspect the ruins of your life. I mean, we see Nehemiah do that, right? He does this privately. And here's what I see in the way that Nehemiah inspects these ruins. And I think it's a lesson for you and I when we inspect the ruins, looking and saying, God, what's, what's, what needs attention in my life? What walls are weak? What walls have been torn down that you desire to be built up? Is that Nehemiah is thorough if I'm going to expect the walls in my life, then I first have to be thorough and being meticulous in how I look at those things and examine my life. And here's what that takes. That takes time. Nehemiah takes three days to do this, to be thorough. Now, here's something you have to understand about me. I've been here almost two months, so this is just letting you a little bit know a little bit more about who I am and... And you can judge or not judge, and that's okay. Uh, I have a little bit of OCD in me, okay? I have a little bit of OCD. And here's how that manifests itself, some ways that manifests itself, is I hate for my clothes to be wrinkled. Hate it. like. Like, so I have five younger brothers, six boys in the prayer house growing up, it was a superhuman Wonder Woman feat for my, for my mom to do laundry for six boys, let alone iron. So you know what we learned really young? How to iron. And I don't know what happened, but something clicked in me to where like I have to iron like everything. Like if I'm going out to, to play a, a ba- pickup basketball game and I pull out a shirt that's all wrinkled up, you know what I got to do? Got to iron it. My mind got to look good to play good. So I'm like ironing it. So you can judge me, whatever it is. I'm just being honest with you. Like, this is who I am. Here's another thing about me. I like to have my car clean. Anybody else in this room like that? You like your car nice and clean? Yeah, that's, that's me. So, the other, so yesterday, like, I told Lori, I go, I'm going to go wash the minivan. So I don't usually drive the minivan around. Uh, not because I have anything against minivans. If you're a man and you drive a minivan, you drive that man van and you be proud of it. <laughs> I just choose not to do it most of the time. So I went and I was like, man, I got to clean this car. I was in it the other day, got to clean this car. That's nothing against Lori, so don't even read into that. Just said, got to clean the car. There was like goldfish crumbs like everywhere, what would probably be clean to someone else, Well, they were everywhere for me. So I went out and I got the vacuum and I cleaned everything and I washed that car because I like my cars clean. Here's another thing, I like my shoes clean. So now I've caused you to look at my shoes. Uh, I like my shoes clean. I actually clean my shoes. I don't know what it is, like I'm just weird letting you know that. Those are weird things about me. Here's why I share that. Because there's certain areas in my life where I like to be very thorough very thorough, like my clothes ironed a certain way, like my car a certain way, like my shoes a certain way. I'm real thorough with that stuff. And you know what I asked myself this week as I'm studying this passage of scripture? Johnny, how thorough are you in your relationship with the Lord? How thorough are you in inspecting the ruins of your life to see, God, are there areas in my life that I have not given attention to, and those walls in my life that you want to stay up are starting to get a little bit weak? Question. The only way that happens is by taking time to actually set aside some time and ask that question. Here's another thing it takes. It takes privacy. Because Nehemiah says, I'm not taking my whole entourage on this little expedition to inspect the walls. I, I want to I be alone when I do it. It takes privacy. It takes you and I getting alone and saying, God, where are there areas in my life that maybe I'm blind to that you want me to give attention to, that you need me to confess and repent of and get right with you? It takes privacy. Perfect example. So this week, I'm praying this and I'm studying this and I'm saying, Lord, where are those things in my life? And listen, you need to understand this. Before we ever get to a Sunday morning, I'm asking the Lord to convict me of what I'm sharing with you. And if it ever gets to a point where that's not happening, we're in big, we're in big trouble. So I'm saying to myself, God, where are there areas in my life? You know what God showed me? That when we were in Chicago and even in Naples where we came from, we used to do family worship once a week. We'd gather together, we'd sing some songs, didn't have to sing them well or on key or whatever, we just sang some songs, we wrote down some prayer requests that we were looking for God to do, we would, we would share a passage, I would share a passage of scripture and we'd pray at the end. You know what? Since we got here, that hasn't happened. God revealed to me, that's an area that you're allowing to get weak. And so I had to go to my family and I had to confess, I've not led you in the way that I should. Want to know something else that God revealed about me as I'm saying, God, I want to be thorough and I want to take time and I want to get away in private and I want to say, God, where are there, where, where are there walls that maybe are breaking down? As I committed when, when, when I was in Chicago for four months before I came here that I was going to pray with Lori every day. And sadly, up to, this, up to this past week, I had not done that. And so I had to go to Lori and I had to confess and I said, would you forgive me of that? And by God's grace, we've been able to pray every day. So I'm sharing that with you to say, I'm no different than you. What God desires for us, if we're going to live a life of faithfulness and fruitfulness for His glory, is we got to inspect the walls. we got to say, Lord, let me be thorough in that. Let me, let me take time. Let me get away in private. And here's the thing. Lord, I'm going to surrender to what you reveal. Because we see with Nehemiah, look at what it says in verse, verse uh, 12. Nehemiah says that I'm giving myself to what God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. God, I'm surrendered to that. I'm going to go to a place that I've never been before in my life. God, I'm going to submit myself to you and be used to rebuild something that looks like it's impossible to be rebuilt. I'm going to be thorough. Here's the next thing I see with Nehemiah. Not not only is he thorough, but he's honest. That's a... Something else we need to be as we inspect the ruins of our life. We need to be honest to what the Holy Spirit reveals when we pray, Lord, what areas in my life need attention? And here's the thing. Can I just tell you this? If you want a prayer that God will answer very quickly, just pray that. He may cause you to wait a lot in some of your other prayers, and you keep praying for those. But I promise you, I've found in my life that when I say, Lord, would you reveal to me the areas of my life that I need to submit to you and give attention to, he seems to do it very quickly for myself. Maybe you're different, but he does it very quickly for me. And when he does that, I need to be honest. Look at how Nehemiah is honest in in the first part of verse 17. So he's done now inspecting the walls in private. He's been thorough. Now Nehemiah speaks to the people of Israel. And look at what he says. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Like Nehemiah, first words he says to the Israel is we're in trouble. We're in deep weeds. I don't think Nehemiah told the people of Israel something that they already knew, didn't already know, Right? Nehemiah says, you see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Man, Nehemiah doesn't sugarcoat it, does he? He doesn't say, well, people of Israel, I want to introduce myself. My name's Nehemiah. You don't know who I am, and I don't know who you are. I came 800 miles away, and I've been up in the king's ivory palace eating awesome food all day and drinking awesome wine all day. And God called me here, and I just need to let you know something. I don't know if you realize this or not, but the walls are just just not the best. I don't see Nehemiah do this. Nehemiah says, Israel, here's the deal we're in trouble. And I don't know if you realize this or not, but the gates and the walls are torn down. He doesn't sugarcoat it. And I wonder how many of us, and I've, I've found myself doing this as well, that when God reveals what we've asked Him to reveal, when we say, Lord, I'm going to inspect the ruins, are there ruins in my life, and He reveals areas that we need to shore up that maybe have weakened or fallen down, that we just need to be honest and say that's right and not rationalize it. Don't excuse it away, because that's what we love to do, right? It's when we're faced with something, instead of being honest, we rationalize, we excuse it away. Oh, Nehemiah, you don't understand everything that's gone on. No, we don't see that happen. And this is what else I see about Nehemiah. Look at what he says in the end of verse 17. He says, come. So here's the reality. Let's be honest about it. Let's embrace the reality. Let's be honest to what God has revealed. Now, here's what we're going to do. He says, come, let us build the walls of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. Nehemiah is decisive. Like, he's not just thorough and honest. He's decisive. That's what God requires of us. Let me share with you another little tidbit about myself. I not only struggle with some OCD tendencies, but I'm, I'm pretty decisive to a fault. Like, to a fault. Perfect example. So my father-in-law is here today, and he's never heard this story, so this will be interesting. So, I love motorcycles. And, you know, Lori grew up with a with a dad who rode motorcycles, so for her thinking of me getting a motorcycle was not this some outlandish thought that you're going to be dead tomorrow and our kids are going to have no father. Like, like she, did, she didn't have that response. So I, I wanted a motorcycle. But not just any motorcycle. I wanted a Harley Davidson motorcycle. Yeah. So There's motorcycles, and then there's Harley Davidson motorcycles. That's what I wanted. And I heard the words from Lori that said, well, do, do whatever you think is right. Which in hindsight, I've learned what that meant, but not in this story. So I said, I'm getting a motorcycle. I went online. I found it real quick, found what I thought was a good deal. I drove to Fort Lauderdale to get it, and I rode it back. And I was like, I got the motorcycle that I wanted. It was a beautiful motorcycle. And so the next day, I get on that motorcycle, and I'm going to take it to the, to the office for meetings. And so I'm going to write about riding on the motorcycle, just, just thinking like, this is just amazing like the wind was blowing through my head, notice I didn't say hair, (laughs) and I was riding that motorcycle, and yes, I did have a helmet, I was riding that motorcycle, and I was about to go on I-75, and all of a sudden, the light turned yellow, just turned yellow, so like not been yellow for a long time, just turned yellow, and the car in front of me accelerated, so I thought I can make that light, so I accelerated And all of a sudden, that truck in front of me decided, well, I don't think I can make it and hit the brakes, slammed on the brakes. So I was fairly new at riding at that point in my motorcycle life. And you know the instinct that when someone does that, what do you do? You slam on the brake. Well, let me just tell you something. That's not something you should do with a motorcycle because that brake controls the rear wheel. So what happened was, is I locked up the brakes, and I start skidding, and the bike goes down and slides out from underneath me and slides right into the back of that truck. Now, I'm fine, so don't get freaked out. I'm fine. But I'm sitting there like this with my hurt at all. You know what? I'm on my knees shaking my head, and everyone's jumping out of the car thinking that I'm really hurt, and I'm not hurt at all. You know what I'm, like, flipping out about? I just bought that bike yesterday. <laughs> That's what I'm upset about. That this guy slammed on his brakes and didn't go through the light. So as I pick up the bike with some help, and thankfully the bike wasn't totaled, I'm pulling it over to the side of the road, and you know just who just happens to drive by in that moment? Yes, Lori. <laughs> now here's what I learned after the fact: when she said, "Just go ahead, do whatever you think is right." That was not a blessing. Because she drove right by, and yes, she saw me, and she drove right by. (laughs) And this is not a chastisement on her. You know what I learned that day? It's not always great to be decisive. But I share that with you to say it is always great to be decisive when the Lord tells you what he wants you to do. I don't see Nehemiah waste time on this. Sure, he's diligent in the three days to look at the walls and to be thorough and say, where is attention needed? But then he's honest about the condition. He says, guys, this is something we have to do. And look at the reason why he gives it. Look at the end of verse 17. He says, so that we may no longer suffer derision. You know why God wants you to be decisive and what he's called you to give attention to if there's something that's in ruin in your life? is because God's reputation is at stake. That other people are watching your life. And other people that know you know that you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And if you're okay with your walls being in ruin and your life being a mess, what does that say about who God is? What does that say about the power that he has to change lives? Because Nehemiah says we can't do this anymore because the way that we're operating is bringing shame to who God is and to who he's called this city to be. Because Jerusalem was known as the city of the king. It had a reputation at one point. And Nehemiah says, we've allowed this city to be a mockery. And it's my life, is the way that I'm living it, being a mockery to the power that is at my disposal that resides within me through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now get this, when I say this, here's what you also need to understand. The way that I live my life, even if it's in an unhealthy way and in a disobedient way, that doesn't change who God is. God's God no matter how I live my life is yes, God is God no matter what happens, but at the same time, I've been given the opportunity and the privileges, 2 Corinthians 5, 17-20 says, to be an ambassador, a representative of the power and the grace and the, and, and the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's the second thing. Look what it's found in verses 9. Verse 9 and verse 18. I told you we'd get to verse 9. Look at what he says in verse 9. So Nehemiah starts out this section in verse 9. He says, Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave to them the king's letters. Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. I'll jump down to verse 18. And I told them, the people of Israel, of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. I don't know if you caught this or not, but in verse 9... Nehemiah is given some things. He's given protection from the king because he's been given these officials who are to ride with him, these officials of the army. In other words, guards to protect him on this 800-mile journey. He's been given power from the king because he's riding on horses with other men showing that he has authority and power to do what this king has allowed him to do. And then he's also given papers. Like he has letters... From King Artaxerxes, it says that he has permission to do this. So here's the second thing that we need to do in order to live a faithful and fruitful life. Not only inspect the ruins of our life, but here's the second thing. Trust God to provide all you need. Trust God to provide all you need. Like, I think it's amazing when I just put myself in Nehemiah's situation where he's asked to do something that hasn't been able to be done in decades, but yet God in his sovereignty and in his provision, he says, Nehemiah, this is what I've called you to do, so I'm going to show you by giving you protection from the king. I'm going to show you that this is what I've called you to do, that this is the way that I want you to be faithful and fruitful for my glory, so I'm going to give you power from the king. And just in case you doubted that, here's a third thing I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you papers. I'm going to give you letters from the king so that you can believe and trust that I'm going to give you all that you need to accomplish all that I desire in and through your life so that you can see faithfulness and fruitfulness in what you've been called to do for my glory. Now, if you're awake this morning, you're starting to connect the dots because what has God given you and me today? To accomplish the vision of faithfulness and fruitfulness for his glory in my life, where God is sovereignly, whatever situation I'm in, whatever I'm encountering today, that's where God has sovereignly placed me to be faithful and fruitful. You know what he's given you? He's given you his power or you his protection. He's given you his protection. Isaiah 43, verses 1 through 3. You can turn there if you want. I'm going to start reading. God says, Fear not. For I have redeemed you. I've bought you back. For us today, I've saved you through Jesus' perfect life and perfect death and resurrection. I've redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. You're God's today if you placed your faith and trust in Him. And then look what he says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. Why? For I am the Lord your God. God's given you protection today. To do what God has called you to do, to be faithful and fruitful for his glory. And whatever that looks like in your life, he's given you his protection. Here's something you need to understand as you unpack that idea. That nothing can happen to me and to you. That I'm on this earth for as long as God has appointed to build what He desires to build in and through my life. And whenever day that is that God calls me home, you know what that means? God's done. God's done with what He wants to build in and through me. And until that time, I have God's protection. You have God's protection. And aren't you glad he doesn't stop there? He also gives you his power. See, for us, on this side of the cross, that means we have the Holy Spirit. I love what what Jesus says in John 14. Jesus says to his disciples, hey, I'm not going to be with you in person for much longer, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send you a helper, capital H. And He's going to help you and even recall in your mind the things that I've taught you. Have you ever experienced that in your life? That you're going through something difficult and all of a sudden a passage of Scripture pops into your mind that helps encourage you? Or something that was taught on a Sunday morning, preached on a Sunday morning from the Word, or something that was shared in a life group discussion from the Word, and all of a sudden that comes to your mind? Get this reality check. That's not the awesomeness of your mind. That's the Holy Spirit. because we have his power romans eight eleven says the same power that raised jesus christ from the dead resides in me and resides in you if you're a follower of jesus christ today that that's just mind-boggling to me reality you ought and all says later on in that chapter after verse 11 he says that because of that reality you ought no longer to be a slave to fear Because that same power, that Holy Spirit bears witness with my spirit that I'm a child of God. It bears witness that I have the Holy Spirit's power. I've been given God's protection. I've been given God's power. And yeah, you're starting to draw the conclusion by now if you're a little slow. I got the King's papers. I got the King's papers. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Why? So that I can be equipped for every good work. Nehemiah got letters from the king so that he could be equipped to do the work that God had called him to do. I've been given letters from the king to be equipped for what God wants me to do. I have his protection, I have his power, and I have his papers. Trust that God's going to give you what you need to do the work to accomplish the vision that he's called you to. Faithfulness and fruitfulness, and whatever that looks like in your life, wherever you are, wherever you work, whatever your relationship situation is, whatever it is, trust it. Trust him. Here's the third thing. It's found in verse 18. So, what's the pe- response of the people? Like Nehemiah finally comes onto the scene and he doesn't do it proudly. We don't see that in the language here. He doesn't do it proudly, but he does it confidently because he knows what God has called him to do. And his vision for his life and God's vision for his life have intersected so that he can see the blessing of what God has called him to do for his life. And look at the response after he tells his people hey, people, let me be honest with you, we're in trouble. Well, we're going to be decisive because God has provided what what we need to accomplish the work. So look at the people's response. Look at it in verse 18, the second part of verse 18. And they said, not Nehemiah, but the people, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. Here's the third thing. Commit to the work God has called you to do. Commit to the work that God has called you to do. I don't know if you realize this or not, but I have in my life that God accomplishes His work through His people. Think about that in your own life. Think about the ways that God has intervened and worked in your life. Think about how many times it was done through his people. I was reflecting this week on so many things that God has done in our life. In my life before I was married and then since Lori and I were married. It's been 17 years. And it seems like over and over and over and over and over and over again that it was God's people committed to be faithful and fruitful for God's glory, and we reap the benefits. I think about so often in my life that by God's grace, having the privilege to be used by him to accomplish his work and to be able to look and to say, man, God, there you were faithful. And by God's grace and not of my own, I was able to be faithful in that. And because I was faithful in that, I was able to see the fruit of that. And even as I say that, there's times that I could look at my life and say, God, there's times where I could have been obedient in that, and I missed out on seeing the fruit of that. Because here's what you need to understand. God's going to do His work. And if you choose not to embrace that, He's going to find someone else who does. Because God doesn't need me. And He doesn't need you. If Nehemiah wouldn't have been obedient, he would have found somebody else. But these people, now that they are reminded of God's faithfulness and they're reminded of His protection and reminded of His power and reminded and see the provision through the papers that Nehemiah received, man, now they're committed to do the work. And here's what that involves. That means identifying needs. You want to be committed to the work that God's called you to do? You need to say, where are the needs? Where are the needs? Where are the needs in this church? Where are the needs in my community? Where are the needs in my workplace? And God forgive us if we ever develop a culture in this church that gets dependent on us planning an outreach activity so that our people of this church can get engaged into the needs outside of these four walls. You know the needs better than anyone else. Both in your life, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, wherever it is. Lord, where are the needs? I'm committed. Where are the needs? It also involves action to meet those needs. Right? That's what the people do. They say, we're going to arise and we're going to build. And here's what I find interesting. The people of Israel were committed to the work that God had called them to do. And that was physical walls and gates. Wouldn't you say today that God has called us to build something It is so much more important. It's to be a part of building his kingdom. It's a part of being involved in something that will have eternal consequences. Like, he gives me that opportunity. And he gives you that opportunity. It takes action. But man, there's tremendous blessing. Like, there's tremendous ROI, right? Return on investment. That I have opportunities every single day when I get up in the morning to make eternal investments into God's kingdom that will last forever. Eternal investments. And as we close, here's the fourth thing. It's found in verse, verses, part of verses 9 and 10 and then in 19 and 20. Look at what it says. It says, but when Sanballat the Horonite, and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this. It displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. Here's the fourth thing that we need to remind ourselves if we're going to live a life of faithfulness and fruitfulness for God's glory is we need to accept that there's going to be opposition. There's going to be opposition. Opposition. Because obedience is always met with opposition. It always is. Like, let's not get ourselves caught up into thinking the enemy wants us to be committed to the vision that God has for our lives of faithfulness and fruitfulness for his glory. Let's not be naive into thinking that. So when we're committed to that, there's going to be opposition. And Nehemiah and the people of Israel are no different. I mean, opposition manifests itself, I think, in these four categories. Number one, my thoughts. Right? We said this before in previous weeks. This thought that God can't use me. And my thoughts are keeping me from being obedient to the vision that God has for my life. My thoughts, what I'm thinking. How about this? How about what I'm feeling? And those often go hand in hand. What I'm feeling. We don't know the hurt that I'm feeling. I, I was obedient to God at one time, and it didn't work out the way that I wanted it to. Key words, I wanted it to. And so there's feelings there of mistrust or whatever it is because God didn't do what you thought He should do. And, and those feelings are, are the opposition that's keeping you from being obedient to what God wants for your life, faithfulness and fruitfulness. Maybe it's those feelings that are keeping you from saying, I need to inspect the ruins in my life because those feelings are telling you it's going to be too painful if you confess and repent and turn from that. How about this? People. Like if you haven't lived long, if you've lived any time on this earth, people can be opposition. Maybe you were committed at one point to faithfulness and fruitfulness in your life in a certain area and somebody said something, somebody hurt you, somebody gossiped about you, somebody told you you couldn't do it, whatever it is, and you got caught up in believing the lie of that person. That's what happened with Nehemiah. Hey, listen, there's always going to be haters. There's always going to be haters. And this won't be the last time we hear about Sam Ballot, Tobiah, and Geshem. Maybe it's this. Maybe the opposition that you're experiencing is finances. So you know what God's called you to do in order to be faithful and fruitful, and you're saying it doesn't work out on paper. Doesn't work out on paper. Costs too much, asking me to give up too much. And it's finances that are the opposition that are screaming loud in your proverbial ear. So what I want to do as I close out this morning is I want to give you three quick things that we need to say to the opposition when it's screaming. You ready for this? Here's the first one. Speak with God's authority. Speak with His authority. That's what Nehemiah does. He says to the the enemies, to the haters, he says, God of heaven will make us prosper. Speak with God's authority. God, you've called me to do this. I'm going to trust that you're going to give me what I need to accomplish this. God, I'm going to be committed to what you've called me to do. Here's the second thing. Focus on the work that God has called you to do. Because Nehemiah says, no, 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 here's the reality. We and his servants, we're going to arise and build. I'm focused on what God's called me to do. And here's the third thing. Don't compromise. Because I love what Nehemiah says. He says to Samballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. You know what I say to the enemy? Romans 8.31. If God is for me, who can be against me? Philippians 2.13 says, It is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Don't believe the lies of the opposition. Believe in the God who has a vision for you to be faithful and fruitful for His glory and the work that He's called you to do.